0: Which are in heaven Hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come Hágase tu voluntad In earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our trespasses As we forgive them that trespass against us And lead us not into temptation But deliver us from evil For thine is the kingdom The power and the glory Forever and ever Amen <laughs> morning everybody great to see you and uh, you know I just I love getting to preach here because of the praise and worship I I get to preach in a lot of places and uh, the praise and worship at our church is better than any place that I have ever been and um, I was gonna say uh, how great it is to have this organ But the organist is kind of probably more important than the organ. But did you notice this new addition? I just love it. And uh, I just love getting to be here. I love working with Darren. I was at our marriage seminar yesterday, and the lady came up and said, you know, I just have a hard time trusting pastors. Can you imagine that? I mean, what what have we done? Um, Well, we've done a lot, actually. But uh, I just told her, you know, you can trust Darren. He is a man of his word. Uh, He's the real deal. And I sure wouldn't be here if that wasn't the case. And I just think we're all very fortunate to have a guy like him. And uh, so, yeah, I'm up for my review this week, trying to get a raise. And uh, so so far, I think it's going pretty well. Thanks for applauding. Well, I I love wisdom. I love it when people have the right thing to say right at the right time and this 16 year old boy got his license and he went into his dad and he said dad i got my license i'm 16 i would like to have my own car and the boy says well you know if you uh, the dad said if you could get your grades up to straight a's and cut your horrible hair uh, maybe we'd get you a car so nine weeks later he comes back and uh straight a's He says look dad straight a's how about that car and uh, the dad says yeah but how about your hair it's uh, horrible and uh, the boy says, why do you make such a big deal about my hair? Long hair is not a bad thing. Even Jesus had long hair, Dad. Dad said, yeah, and Jesus walked everywhere he went. See, I just, I love wisdom. I love, and, and that has nothing to do with the message I'm going to deliver today. But I love the story, and I wanted to share it with you. Because today, I'm going to talk about marriage. And I guess the, the one connection would be that when it comes to marriage, We need all the wisdom that we can get. Statistics on uh, the divorce rate vary, but pretty much there's an agreement that in the Christian community, the rate of divorce is just about the same as it is in the secular world. Isn't that sad? Um, One statistic that you can't argue with is a statistic about how many kids will be with their biological parents By the age of uh, 17, 48.5% of the kids will reach 17 with both biological parents. Less than half of the children that grow up today will be with their biological, both biological parents. isn't Isn't that tragic? Now, you add to that the misery of people that will never get divorced, who are living together in a lifeless uh, hopeless, dead relationship. And you can see that uh, we've got a lot of problems when it comes to marriage. And, uh, you know, um, somebody uh, said that there are these people that that come together, uh, they never have a cross word when they get married, and they live happily ever after. And then there's the other 7 billion of us in the world who get married who have to work through and deal with the reality of our lives. Another person said, and this is really horrible, and I'm sorry for saying it, but I just think it's hilarious. They said, marriage is kind of like a deck of cards. In the beginning, all you need are two hearts and a diamond. But before it's over, you're often looking for a club and a spade. Now, isn't that horrible? I mean, that's just, uh, but it's too funny to pass up. All right, so, uh, so what can we do? about this. Well, whatever we've been doing, it hasn't worked, and um, I wrote a book. It comes out in May. It's called The 7-Minute Marriage Solution. I just did the workshop this weekend, and as Darren said, uh, that'll be available uh, to you if you want that once it gets all processed and everything. But th- in addition to these seven minutes that we're going to talk about, seven minutes that can solve your marriage's problem. I present seven things that we need to stop doing and seven things that we need to start. Last year, I did a survey of over 1,300 people um, and and looked at what is it that if we stop doing this today, it would make the marriage better? And what are seven things that if we started doing today, it would absolutely make it better? And so I'm going to give you one thing to stop, one thing to start. There are six others of both. And then the seven minutes, that could change everything. And the thing that we need to stop doing right now, and it's on your outline there. You can pull that out. I did provide an outline, and when I provide an outline, I'd like you to use it because it's so rare that I ever think ahead long enough or further along enough to give one. But that is to stop trying to fix the other person. Now, could I get an amen on that? Could I get an a-women on that? Stop Trying to fix the other person. When I was growing up in Texas, I learned to play football, and there was kind of an undergirding rule that was kind of the the most important rule, and it was kind of an unspoken rule, and that was never tackle somebody who has the same color jersey that you do. Doesn't that make sense? And yet, you know, we we picked this teammate of ours. This one person we want to go through life with. And then we spend the rest of our life attacking and tackling and criticizing and complaining about that person. And um, people, when when there's criticism and there's a a person trying to change them, uh, their natural inclination is to dig in their heels and refuse to change versus... If we could uh, somehow accept them and free them, uh, they they might actually want to change. They might want to do something in a different way. I don't think that God really wants to hear our prayers, God changed that other person for me. I think what God wants to hear is God, change me into an accepting, loving person that will free this other individual to look at themselves and make the changes that they need to make. Who wants to live with somebody who is always complaining and criticizing? I challenge people, go 24 hours without criticizing your spouse say to god okay god if this person needs any negative information i'm going to trust you to find someone else to deliver it to them and just see what happens see if that doesn't make things a little bit better it may uh, actually go so well that you decide to do it for 48 hours rather than just 24 now Let's say that somebody you live with is trying to change you. We've established that that's foolish, that 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 isn't going to help. The research shows that nagging doesn't work. But what if you live with somebody that is trying to change you? Well, we have to ask ourselves then, hmm, could there be something in me that needs to be changed? Could I quit Complaining about their control and manipulation and all that long enough to stop and ask God to reveal to me anything within my heart that needs a little bit of a correction there. Because even though they're not doing it in the right way, maybe, maybe they've seen something that does need to be changed. The other thing is if you've been living with this person who's trying to change you all this time, maybe it's time to make a bold move and say to them, you know what, this isn't working. Rather than keeping the peace, you decide to make peace and you make that bold move and you say it's not working. And maybe it's time that you be the one that makes the appointment to get the help for the two of you rather than just let things continue to go as they are. So there's always something that we can do in the midst of a person who's always trying to change us. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love bears all things, it believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures all things. And so we need to ask God to help us go from being that person that is trying to change the other person to become an accepting, loving, enduring, bearing all things kind of person. Now, there's something that we can start doing that will help marriage instantly. And that is that we can start expressing grace for um, everyday mistakes that occur. This goes beyond just accepting somebody and living with it but making a point to make a verbal communication of grace and acceptance to that other person. We're all making mistakes, and when a person makes a mistake, when we come along and express the grace that God has given us, we're meeting that, point, uh, that, uh, meeting that person at the point of vulnerability, at that place where they need encouragement and they need grace, and we're coming along and we're meeting that need. And so, it's an act of communication, it's an act of connection at the most vital moment when we discover that this other person has messed up, just as we have messed up. Now, uh, that allows us to kind of remove the shame from them, it allows them to recover, it unleashes their heart, it has all sorts of benefits to it. But it doesn't include endorsing repeated evil in the home. It doesn't include that abusive person. It doesn't mean that we express grace for abuse coming to us. It doesn't mean that we express grace and love for the person that has been unfaithful and adulterous. It doesn't mean that someone that abandons us, whether it's physically or financially or however. It doesn't mean that we come in and express grace for that because that is enabling evil in our own home. What we need to do in that case is courageously confront whatever it is and demand that something be done about it. Proverbs 10.10 says, People who wink at wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace so we go from keeping the peace in the midst of this abuse or adultery or abandonment to making peace with the bold reproof that says listen this can't go on this can't continue you must do something and then if that person isn't willing to do anything then that means you have to do something yourself You have to start going to a support group, an Al Anon group. You may have to protect your children from an abusive situation. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes if this person doesn't respond to the bold reproof that's needed when there's some kind of ongoing sin in the relationship. We're called to forgive, but we're not called to forget. Forgiving and forgetting, that's a, a, a really silly concept. Because if I forgive you and I forget it, I'm essentially allowing you to do it again to me. Yeah, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget that you did it, and I'm going to make sure you've got safeguards so it doesn't happen again, and I'm going to protect myself also. I'm not going to be naive and silly. So if I find you using pornography, I'm not going to just think that, okay, because you say you're sorry, it's all done. You need to go get some help. And I need to watch you recover from that problem rather than just forget that it ever happened. So there's a balance there. But in the everyday things, we need a compassionate connection where we're sharing and showing our grace as God has given to us. This wonderful passage here, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So, we need to to be unified in love, even in the face of mistakes that get made. We need to be forgiving. As I said in the seminar yesterday, if you are bitter and resentful in your relationship, who do you think you are? The Bible is so clear that we are to forgive and to let go and to get beyond our bitterness and resentment. And if the offense is being repeated, you need to take action to be sure it's not being repeated anymore. Now, let's say that you live with somebody that's having a difficult time forgiving. All right, well, when you blew it, were you humble? Did you humbly confess? And were you willing to do whatever it took to make it right? There is this thing called making amends and restitution. Many times that's what needs to take place. Maybe the person is having such a hard time forgiving and expressing grace because all you did was say you were sorry and went on with your life. We do this workshop called Every Man's Battle and guys come in. We've had 10,000 men go through it to establish sexual integrity. Before it's over, he has confessed all his sins to these other men who many have become friends for life. Um, he goes home, and at the right time, there's really never a right time, but, but he makes full disclosure to his wife about the reality of their relationship. He gets all this off. He's, he's pointed toward God. He, he's cleared up his relationship with the Lord. He is on top of the world, and when he confesses all this, she is at the absolute worst place, perhaps, in her life full of disillusionment, disappointment, and hurt and pain. How do these people heal? He's up here. She's down here. People start to see how great he's doing and stuff and admire him, and she's just doing what she's been doing all this time. One woman, very smart, husband came home, confessed. He'd had an affair for two years, Uh, met a woman at a local hotel for two years. He confesses to her. She says, okay, well, if, if you're uh, sure you're never going to do this again, then you shouldn't worry about who owns all our stuff. You go down to the courthouse and you turn over all our assets to me. And so you can imagine how humiliating that was to him. He did it and kind of humiliated himself in her direction. And then she said, I never liked your hairy chest. I want you to shave your chest every day. If you really want to show you love me, you shave your chest every day. There aren't many things more humiliating than that for a guy. And yet he was willing to humiliate himself to make restitution for her to show that he meant it. It wasn't enough. Finally, she said, I never liked your crooked teeth. I want you to get braces and straighten your teeth. And every time they tighten up those braces, you think of the pain that you caused me. And he did it. His restitution humiliated himself to her level and they began to heal together. I was with them two weekends ago. I didn't see his chest, but he had very beautiful teeth. I'll tell you that. They'd been in this for about five years. A couple of years ago, I had breakfast with them in the same hotel where he had had the affair. I said to her, how in the world could you have breakfast where they had the affair? She said, "Well, he didn't have the affair. That man is dead. This is my new husband, who has made restitution, who has restored our relationship." You see, sometimes we're sitting there saying, "Hey, they ought to be forgiving." We're we're judging them for not forgiving us when maybe we need to be doing more to be in a forgivable place. Ephesians 4:22 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And if somebody's having a hard time forgiving you, maybe there's something you could do. So we, we stop trying to change the other person. We start expressing this grace that God has given to us. And then there are these seven minutes... That could be the solution to your marriage. Now, when I say seven minutes, many times the, the men think these must be seven sexual minutes. Women think, well, this must be a conversation this, or, or him listening to me for seven minutes. Well, it's not either of those. One guy said, you know, I don't mind my wife having the last word. I, I just wish she would go ahead and get to it. Now, we all have different communication needs, don't we? And we all imagine what would be helpful. But what I'm talking about are seven minutes where we bring God's Word into our relationship. Now, let me tell you why. There's an organization called the Center for Bible Engagement, and they did a study over many years, and here's what they found out. If you will open your Bible and read the Bible one day a week, you know what kind of impact that has on your life? Like if you just go to church and open the Bible when you come to church and read the Bible. You know what kind of impact that has? What kind of changes that allows you to make? Absolutely none. Two days a week, no impact. Three days a week does nothing to change the person that you are. You know, there aren't a lot of people that will even read the Bible for three days a week. But this study showed that if you read the Bible four days a week, more days than not, it changes your choices, it changes your character, changes the dynamics in the relationship. So, the seven minute marriage solution, if you want to see change over time, is that more days than not, you need to be sitting down with your spouse opening up the Bible and reading that Bible together and then coming together in a time of prayer where you're, uh, as my wife and I do, you hold each other's hands, you look each other right in the face, eyeball to eyeball, and you connect with each other and you connect with God and you bring God's transforming power into your relationship. Now listen to this. If you read the Bible four times a week it will lower the chance of you drinking excessively by 62% now that's interesting to me but this one is profound it will will reduce the chance of you looking at pornography by 59% it will reduce the chance of you having sex outside of your marriage by 59% it will uh, It will reduce gambling by 45% or the chances of you lashing out at this other person by almost 40%. The Bible, the powerful Word of God will transform your life. And the reason that we don't know that or that we don't experience it is that we don't do it often enough and we don't do it together. Every person needs a place where they can kind of reset and reboot the relationship. There, there needs to be a no-fly zone kind of place where you forget the stuff beyond, and you're looking to God's truth and what He would have uh, you do, what area of your life He would have you change and pay attention to. And so this time of connection can change everything. Uh, you know, just, just the fact that you spend that time together. My wife says that that uh, the most powerful sex organs are the eyeballs, that, you know, she needs that connection. And I think uh, every woman needs that connection. And, you know, I cannot expect her to be in the mood for sexual intimacy if I haven't made that connection. And any time that she has is not in the mood, then I know I have not connected with her at another level. And the one time I wasn't in the mood, she had not connected with me at at that level. It just, you must have, have connection beyond if that is going to be the kind of fulfilling experience that God wants it to be. And so you have seven minutes, devotional time, short time, he reads the Bible. She reads the Scripture. And you pray together. And, and you watch what starts to happen in the dynamics of the relationship if you're consistent and you kind of make it a ritual in your life. It really can be the solution. We try everything. We read books, go to seminars and all this. How about God's Word? How about we just try god's word well kind of to sum up there are seven things to stop and and i've given you one stop trying to fix the other person seven things to start and i've given you one start expressing grace and there are these seven minutes that could change everything someone said that a, a marriage license is really just a work permit and in many ways it is it's a work permit for you to go to work on yourself and it's easy for us to find the flaw in the other person and just pick that other person apart much more difficult to say in the face of that what do i need to be doing myself to say that there's a seven minute solution is a bold statement but i don't think it's my solution i really do believe that it's God's solution. And if you look at this final scripture, Ecclesiastes 4.12, it says that a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. There are a lot of married people that are standing there alone, and so when temptation comes, they just fall right into it. They get attacked, and every, every marriage is subject to attack Satan wants to rip you to shreds or he just wants you to exist miserably until you die and 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 a person standing alone is so vulnerable to Satan's attack but the scripture goes on to say but two can stand back to back and they can conquer we need each other That's what it's all about. It's helping each other. But then it says three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So you have to ask yourself, okay, well, in our marriage, what is the third braid? For some people, it's me, it's my spouse, and the third braid is a mother-in-law who never let go of her little boy. She's the one that's in the relationship with us. She's the powerhouse here. For somebody else, it's me, my spouse, and his pornography. That's the third chord right there. That's what's got all the power in this relationship. Somebody else, it's me, my spouse, and my boss. That I look up to, that I wish my husband was more like, that I compare him to every day, that I, I, I'm jealous of all the stuff they have and everything. That's our third chord. For somebody else, it's some kind of control strategy. That's the power that's there. Me, spouse, and control, and my, my ways of getting things done. What God wants is He, he wants to be the third chord. He wants to be wrapped up with you in a triple braid that is so powerful, it is not easily broken. It withstands the tests and grows stronger and stronger with every day, with every season, with every challenge. Let me tell you what I know about marriage. (laughs) You get married, and there comes this challenge and for some people it's five minutes after you eat the wedding cake and for some people it's five years but it's when you hit that challenge that you decide what kind of marriage you're going to have it either works through it it either does whatever it takes to take care of the problem or it starts to drift And it becomes something where you wake up and you wonder, how did I ever get into this? And that is not honoring of God. God has a solution for you. And you know who benefits? You do. And your kids do. See, the world is looking for what love looks like. The world is looking for what love looks like. And we are called as Christians to show them exactly that in our marriages. Well, you think the world is looking for, it; our kids are looking for it too. And I pray that whatever it takes, you would be willing to do whatever it takes to show this world, show your children and your neighbors what real love looks like. Let me pray. God, thank you for your transforming, powerful word that we can incorporate into our relationships every single day. Lord, I pray that each person here would ask you right now for more willingness to do whatever it takes for the relationship to honor you. Willingness. God, I'm I'm asking that each person here will pray for, and you would grant them willingness they've never had before. In your name I pray, amen. Now, just try not to argue with each other before you get out of the parking lot, okay? Just do that. God bless you.